Well, good evening, Encounter. How are you guys doing tonight? Good. Well, my name is Josh Jacobs. I'm the Young Adults Pastor at ECU Christian Church, as well as one of the junior high pastors there. And I just want to say I am so excited to be here with you guys tonight. I've been looking forward to this moment for a, about a month now. And I'm just, I just want to give a round of applause real quick to Ben and Joe, the rest of the Encounter staff, the interns, all the hard work and love that they pour into you guys. I know some of them pretty well, and I just know that these guys care so much about you, and they care so much about your campus, whether you're at Heartland, ISU, Wesleyan, wherever you're at, and the students there knowing and loving Jesus like you do. And I just want you to know, too, at Eastview, we love and care about you guys, too. We partner with Encounter. We support Encounter. We are praying for you guys, and we want to love on you guys. So if you're looking for a local church, while you're here at um, an encounter, we would love to see you at Eastview. If you're looking to get plugged into serving, I would love to plug you into the junior high. I've got like Zach over here who's a small group leader. I've got some other ones. Sydney's a ministry partner, super awesome. And then if you end up planting roots here in Bloomington Normal for a while, I'd love to see you as a part of our young adult ministry. We meet weekly as well to talk through and process through what does it look like to live out our faith once we become adults and jump into the world, and how do we bring the gospel to the people in our areas, to the communities that we're a part of. And I don't know about you guys, but that's just an amazing thing that we all get to do. And I also just heard about an amazing thing you guys just did this past weekend. How was your fall retreat? I will say, Ben told me earlier he thinks it might be one of the best ones they've ever had. So, I mean, from the receptions I'm hearing right now, from the pictures I saw on Instagram and the stories I've heard, it sounds like it was a great time. A great time to be in the Word, a great time for revival, and I just love what God is doing through that. And if you have been here on Mondays, you would know we've been doing this Awake series, right? And there's this word that Paul, or that Paul, <laughs> that Ben and Phil have talked about over the last few weeks this word that you see throughout scripture, it's this little tap on the shoulder from God to say, hey, pay attention. I've got something for you. And that word is behold, and if you open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, that's where we'll be at today, we see another instance of God trying to get our attention and tell us, hey, pay attention here. So as you're opening up there, I'll give you a little bit of my story, just a little brief flyover. I've grown up here in Bloomington Normal. I'm a townie, as they would say, Blono. This is my area. This is my people. I actually thought I was going to go to ISU for most of my life. I thought I was going to be a history teacher, and that was going to be my path. And I feel like I've, I've met a lot of history majors in here, so that's really great. But at my senior year of high school, God grabbed my heart, and he said, No, I brought you into ministry. You should go into vocational ministry. So that's what I did. I went over to Lincoln Christian University for two years and studied spiritual formation there. So seeing the, um, the water and that idea of just in incorporating spiritual formation into your guys' daily lives, that got me. I love that. But then I came on staff at Eastview two years ago, about midway through my college experience. And so I transferred to Moody Online. And I like to tell people I did online school before it was cool. I was doing it like eight months before COVID. So before all of you guys were online, I was online the lonesome self, but I graduated there recently, and now I get to work with young adults and junior hires to work, look and see how they can use the gospel to transform their own lives and to transform the lives of others. But I think there's something in my story and your stories that we can relate on tonight. How many of you guys had a really rough last two years, or maybe it was a little crazier than you would have anticipated if I had told you five years ago what it was going to look like? COVID's affected many of our lives in many different ways. Maybe it ruined or changed some dreams or goals you had, or at least disrupted your comfortability a little bit. Or maybe you've been struggling with mental health over these last few months or years, or maybe you know someone in your family who has. I can relate to that. 
Or maybe you just said your life has changed in so many different ways, and if I told you tonight I had someone that had healing for you, or who could point you to rest, would anyone else be interested in that tonight? Because I know I would. Well, if we look to Luke chapter 5, we find another story of Jesus healing someone in need. A story of Jesus seeing the felt need of someone in a community. But there's something really special about this healing story. There's a faith of this man's friends that Jesus highlights in this passage, and I want to highlight with you guys tonight. So if you're with me, Luke chapter 5, whoa, sorry about that, we'll start in verse 17. One of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea from from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the mist before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. This is an incredible story, right? We see this in Jesus' life all the time, right? He approaches these situations, people bring people before him, and he provides healing in the situation. And what we see in this story specifically is some men, we don't know how many, and they're carrying their friend on a bed to Jesus. And as they're carrying Jesus along the way, they walk up to this crowd, and they see that the crowd's in the way, right? There's no way you're going to carry a bed through this crowd of people who are around Jesus. And so like many of you, they get creative. I know when I was at LCU, people would take their mattresses and play really dumb games with it in the dorm halls, and I feel like maybe some of you have done that before. But they took the mattress, and they're like, what's the best way to get our friend to Jesus? Oh, I don't know. Let's climb up on the roof and lower him down. So that's what they do. They go up on the roof somewhere, they move, remove the tiles from the situation, they lower their friend down and put him before Jesus. And upon seeing their faith, Jesus healed the man. And we know what Jesus likes to do. He doesn't just provide physical healing in moments like that. While he did provide physical healing, while he did heal this paralyzed man and let him walk for maybe the first time in his life or maybe the first time in years, The more important thing in that moment is he provided some spiritual healing. He said, man, your sins are forgiven. He offered life to that man in that moment, and he healed this man in a way that was going to change his trajectory for the rest of his life. But stop with me here for a moment. Where was the word behold in this text? Well, if you look at Luke 5, 18, it says, behold, Some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. You see, in this story, it doesn't say, Behold, Jesus 
forgave the man of his sins, or behold, Jesus healed this man of his paralyzation. No, what we want to look at tonight, what this story is highlighting, which again, those things are important, what God is trying to tap on your shoulder tonight and say, hey, pay attention for a moment, is the faith of his friends. It was by the faith of his friends that that day, that man found resurrection power. So why? Why would God want to highlight this? I think for some of you, the sermon you need to hear tonight is that first part. That Jesus has resurrection power for you tonight. That he is spiritual healing, that there is eternal life for you right now. And that there's physical healing on the other side of that. And maybe even right now. But for most of us in this room, those who already know that grace, who already know that love of Jesus, there's an added message onto that. There's something else that, behold, he wants you to see tonight. And that is, oh, press the wrong button. That Christian community is meant to bring others face-to-face with Jesus. Christian community is meant to bring others face-to-face with Jesus. And you see, the faith of the friends in this passage is not only highlighted by this term, behold. If you look in verse 20 itself, Jesus highlights this faith. It says, when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. Did you catch that? When Jesus saw the friend's faith, he brought healing to their friend's life. For Jesus, community wasn't about these men getting together and hiding away for a while. To Jesus, community wasn't taking this gospel message, taking this transformative power, and holding on to it for ourselves. No, for Jesus... This transformative power, this true faith was us realizing, or the men in the story realizing, that the same spiritual and physical healing that they once experienced is right there for their friend as well. And all they're called to do is bring their friend into the presence of Jesus. Do you see what I'm getting at here? Back when late junior high, early high school, I was a mess. My family was divorced, and so I lived with my mom. She was a single mom, taking care of five kids, working job to job, trying to figure out what was going to happen. Honestly, we barely made it week to week. We relied a lot on government benefits and aid to try and make it through. And then, right as we were going into my freshman year of college, my mom, or freshman year of high school, my mom sat me down and let me know that she had been diagnosed with two stage four cancers. I had to go right into immediate treatment for that. And luckily, she's been okay to this day. They're both in remission, but in the moment, My life was over, it felt like. I clung to my mom, and she was my provider, and she was the person in my life that was supposed to take care of me, and I didn't know if she was going to make it. I was an anxious and broken and scared 15-year-old who needed resurrection power more than anything. And I would have called myself a Christian at the time, but if I was being honest, the only times I ever prayed in my life was really when I just needed a miracle. So you could find me praying a lot during those days. But in my weakest moment, in the moment when I felt the most distant from God, when I just felt like everything was falling apart around me, God met me there. And he met me there through the faith of my friends. You see, in high school, I was friends with a lot of people who went to Eastview, where I work now. And they would constantly invite me to go to high school service, or to go to junior high service, or I should join their small group and do this and that. But I was always too scared to ask my mom. I didn't want to put more on her plate. 
I always made excuses and I didn't show up, but I finally turned 16 and I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to show up. So I started going to services on Sunday mornings. I went to James Armstrong's house. Some of you guys know him. I went to his small group. Yeah, James. Oh, we miss you, James. Tennessee got a good one. I see you, Luke. But I went to James Armstrong's house on Wednesday nights, and I got into a community with other Christian guys. And you know what happened? Very quickly, I realized that there was more to life than what I had seen. There was more to life than what I had experienced, and I met for the first time in my life. I saw Jesus face to face, and my life was transformed in that moment. And it was by the faith of my friends that I found resurrection power. And that's what happens to the paralytic man here in this passage. You see, his friends, they picked him up by the bed, and they brought him before Jesus. Jesus healed him, and the man walked away. He walked away with resurrection power. And I bet you that what led those men to do that that day was that they finally experienced Jesus at some point in their life. They started hearing who they were and who they were called to be. They started recognizing what God had done for them. They started finding out that God had plans for them. And it can almost guarantee you that there's something inside of those men that said, I can't stand back and let other people not hear about this. There was something deep inside the heart of those men that said, you know what, I have a friend who is hurting I have a friend who is far from God, and all I know what to do is to bring him before Jesus. That's what those men had to be thinking. They were servants of Jesus now. They weren't living for someone else's applause. They weren't living for their own kingdom anymore. They were servants of King Jesus, and that's what their life was meant to do. And so that was their mission, was to bring others before Jesus and show them the kingdom of God. So what is it then? How did those men have faith so deep that they truly believed that their friend would just be face to face face with Jesus, they'd find resurrection power? And sometimes the pages of scripture can be a little misleading at times. We don't get to see the reality of the world they lived in all the time. We just get the story. And sometimes the story can make things seem super easy. It can make it seem like it was simple. But we know the reality of the world. It's a lot more difficult than that sometimes. So I wish so badly I could bring those men before us right now. We could say, how did you do it? What was it that led you to bring your friend before Jesus? I can tell you it's not that they felt comfortable in their own bubbles anymore. I can tell you that there was something that drove them, something that brought them to that point. And I know so many of us in this room want to have faith like that so badly. We don't want to be stuck in our Christian bubbles anymore. We don't want to just spend time with our Christians and talk about it on Monday nights and talk about it as a small group, but then when we get into the real world, we act like it doesn't exist. We want to have boldness and faith like those men in that community. And so I'm going to share a few thoughts of what I think drove those men to act like that tonight. And I'm going to pull upon their story and some other people of Scripture and share what it means to have faith that brings other people to Jesus. So how do we get there? Well, it doesn't happen overnight. Sadly, we don't know much of the backstory of these men. We don't know how long they've been listening to Jesus for. Maybe it was a while now. Maybe they've been falling around. Or maybe, like some of you in here, they just shot their shot. Maybe you saw that girl, like, think about it. You're one of those dudes in here, and you saw a cute girl, and you're like, I'm just going to DM her on Instagram. I'm going to shoot my shot, see if it works out. Maybe that's what they did with Jesus that night. They saw that he had resurrection power. They're like, I'm going to shoot my shot. Let's see what happens, Jesus. But I'm going to guess that's probably not what happened. 
Chances are, though, the kind of faith that could transform these men to make them want to bring their friend before Jesus, that kind of resurrection power, it probably took some time to develop. It took some time. And although we can't know their journey, we do know the stories of other people in Scripture. The disciples spent three-plus years with Jesus before they were released to do their true call to ministry. And yes, they did ministry with Jesus on the side for a while, but they constantly messed up. By the time Jesus had resurrected from the dead, they still didn't understand what his full mission was. Or I think of Paul. He was encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus and had this blinding light moment, which most of us would think would just change us in a second. But we find in Galatians that Paul took three years to go away. He spent three years studying and re-transforming his worldview. Because when you come under the lordship of Jesus, everything changes. Or I think of Timothy, who was under Paul and spent many, many years with him. And Timothy got to be around other icons of the faith. And then one day, he, when he was ready, Paul released him to go and to be the church. So why? Why does it take time? Well, because when we start following Jesus, we gotta, we gotta learn what it looks like to actually follow him, right? If we actually believe that following Jesus should change our lives and transform our trajectory, then we got to spend some time figuring out what that means. We need to look to the scriptures and figure out who God is. We need to spend time learning what it means to actually pray to God and talk to him like he's our father and not just some distant being. We need to learn what it means to be in Christian community. We need to wrap our heads around what it means to have true faith in Jesus. And once you come face to face with Jesus and transformed by him, it should shake you to your core. Not to mention, we need to learn what it means to actually share the gospel, right? We need to learn, how do I actually do that? And newsflash, nobody's good at it at first. (laughs) Nobody. I'm not good at it. I'm one of the most awkward people I know. And if you're sitting here in here and you think that you're just bad at it, well, welcome to the club. That's a part of being human. We are just going to mess it up, and by God's grace, he still uses us in that. You could, if you're good at it after 20 years, praise God. You must have the gift of evangelism, because I don't. We're going to be weird at it, but his power meets us there. And I can tell you story after story of times I tried to share the gospel and how awkward it was and how hard it felt, but God's grace meets us there, and it takes time, guys. It takes time to develop the kind of trust and the kind of faith that Jesus is going to do the same type of transformation in your friend's life or the person you know's life that he did in your own. But that's not the only thing that it takes. That's not the only thing that drives us toward deeper faith, the type of faith that will bring us and bring us to bring other people to Jesus. And it's because it doesn't happen on your own. Look back at this story, right? The men, they went together. They couldn't carry this guy alone. They went together and collectively they worked to bring this man to the, fa- to the feet of Jesus. Look around you. Seriously, look around you right now. There is community here right now, sitting in the seats next to you. People that can join you in the transformative work that God is doing on your campus. Maybe three or four of you need to go look and pick up the mat of someone you know on campus. Maybe you need to take the time to work together to bring someone to the feet of Jesus. And 
I'm not, I'm not just talking about us today. If you talk about Paul, look at, look at Paul's life. He first was, a, he was a, brought to Ananias, and then he was brought to Peter and Barnabas and Timothy and Mark and Lydia and Luke and so many other people that were on fire for the gospel. Because we can't do this on our own. It takes a community. It takes people filling us and pouring into us and teaching us what it means to truly live so we can do that for others. And if Paul was here right now and I was asking him what it meant to take the jump from here to here, I would think he'd tell us we need to surround ourselves with people that are transformed by the immeasurable love of Jesus and want to do that in other people's lives. And if you only spend time around people who, you know, they're, they're pretty good at doing it on Monday nights and during small group, but they're not about sharing it outside of this space, it's going to be really hard for you to get out of that comfort zone too. Surround yourselves with people who are on that same mission as you. Find one or two people in this space. Maybe it's your small group. And come face to face together and say, hey, we were made for something more. And get on your knees, literally get on your knees before God and pray that the living God would transform your heart and fill you with his spirit and empower you to go. Having this kind of faith doesn't come without some wrestling either, though. Can I be real with you guys for a minute? Let's just be honest for a second. When we dive into some, the scripture, there's some really hard things to comprehend, like the concept of a wrathful God or the reality of hell. Anyone else ever had a question about that? Or maybe you question the authenticity of scripture sometimes, or you're not sure if it's even real, or why does God let us live in a world with sin, or why doesn't God just give us clear answers to every question? And there are so many college students and young adults in this world right now who are deconstructing their faith because of these types of questions. And many of them feel like the church doesn't address them ever. Many of them feel isolated and feel alone in their questioning. And you know what I want to say to them? Who are you friends with? Because I'm wrestling with this stuff all the time. I'm processing this stuff all the time. And some of you in here can relate to that wrestling, or some of you have wrestled with even more than I can even imagine. And you know what Jesus would say to you? You know what I would say to you? Wrestle. Wrestle with those things. But wrestle with the anticipation that through that wrestling, you are going to become a light and a guide for someone else to come to know Jesus. Wrestle with the anticipation that at the end of that long tunnel, at the end of that back and forth with God, you are going to come to see Jesus more clearly than you ever have before. And it's going to create something inside of you so special that others are drawn to it. And last one, it doesn't happen because you're good enough. Having the kind of faith that transforms you and that pushes you out of your comfort zone to bring other people face to face with Jesus, it's not because you're good enough. Do you think there was a chance that any of those men that day, as they went to pick up that mat, thought to themselves, why am I doing this? What have I done to deserve this? Why would Jesus heal my friend? What have I done to show Jesus that I deserve this? But I think of all the men and the women of Scripture and all their backstories and all their shortcomings and how none of them were qualified either. Coming back to Paul, if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, 9, Paul said, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. Why? Because Paul killed the first Christians. Sometimes I think we like to gloss over the stories of the people in the Bible and their transformation and how they came to know Jesus. 
But Paul was literally killing Christians before he knew Jesus. You see, Paul grew up as a Jewish man, and he was growing in prominence and figure around the world and around, around the known world. And at that same time, there was another man who was growing in his authority, and people were following him, and that man was Jesus. And it's likely that Paul joined the other Pharisees and other teachers of the law and was sitting, listening to Jesus teaching at some point during his ministry. There's a chance he was here to witness this miracle. There's a chance, and there's actually, it's actually probably likely that Paul witnessed Jesus being crucified. He probably was one of the religious leaders that wanted it to happen. And we see later in Acts that when the first martyr of the church is killed, his name is Stephen, they go and they pick up his cloak and they lay at the feet of the person they know will be the most proud that a Christian is dead. And that man was Paul. They laid it at the feet of Paul. That man knew grace. So how'd you do it, Paul? How do you awake to the truth that by faith in Jesus, I'm called to carry the gospel to others? And I can tell you, he wouldn't say it's because he was good enough. I hope you're picking up on this, but I think God's been doing something in me through this text. And I hope he's doing something in you today, too. And it sounds like you guys just had a really great weekend where the Spirit was filling you and pouring into you and preparing you for something more. And I truly believe in my heart this is what it is. Right now, I want to believe for and pray for and live for the same kind of boldness and faith that Paul and these friends had. Paul was supernaturally changed by the gospel. These friends had such deep faith in Jesus that they were willing to bring their friend to the feet of Jesus, and they knew he would be changed too. And I'm going to be honest, I've been changed by that same grace too, and I know many of you in this room have been too. So what is it? Why are we doing it? And sometimes, students, I look around, and I just got to be honest here for a minute. I look at the church, and I'm seeing two things right now. I'm seeing an openness to the gospel, over these la- especially over these last two years, that I've never seen before. There is a brokenness, and there is a desire for something more right now, and we can offer that. There are students on your campus who are looking to fill the void of these bigger questions in life, and they're seeking answers to things only God can answer. They're putting it in the things like politics, or popularity, or image, or power, or relationships, or social movements, but little do they know one of you has the grace they're looking for right now. The harvest is plentiful. I don't have to tell you that. Just look around your campus. You'll see it. But I feel like we're also in this thing right now where the church is getting a little me-centered. And I love the church, and I'll serve her until the day I die. But I look around, and I see people who say they call Jesus Lord, but really a lot of them are just looking for Jesus to be Lord of their desires. They want Jesus to fill what they want out of life, and they craft Jesus in their own image. How often do we approach Christian community and ask what I can get out of it rather than what I can contribute or who I can bring into it? I hear all the time, and I used to say all the time as a student, I just want to go deeper. I wish my small group would go deeper. I don't know about them, but I know I want to get to that point. But maybe God's calling you to bring that depth and bring that authenticity to your Christian community around you. Not just find it in someone else. Or maybe he's calling you to what the real depth and real authenticity is, and that's bringing other people 
to Jesus. It's showing other people the transformative power that he has. And I truly believe, guys, that if we begin to view Jesus in this way, if we begin to give our life over to him, if we really want more, if we really want this kind of more that most of us are searching for, then we would actually become more like Jesus. And becoming more like Jesus means laying down your life. It means giving it away. What did Jesus say? If you want to have your life, what do you got to do? You got to lose it. But right now, I see a lot of people who need to know Jesus, and I'm telling you that as your friend, there are people on this campus who don't know. There are people that don't know his love, they don't know his grace, and some of you, it's your roommate, some of it's your friend, some of you, it's your classmate, or someone that you eat lunch next to you every single day, and they don't know the grace that you know. They don't know the transformative power that you have inside of you. They don't know that they were made for such a bigger purpose than what this world can offer. They don't even know it yet. And sometimes I find me, sometimes I find us, sometimes I just find us asking for a little more for me from God. But the thing I think we need to be awakened to, the more that we need to be praying for, is seeking more for others. Students in this room, if you know who you are in Christ, let me just say to you as your friend today, it's time. It's time. It's time. And if I'm going to be real real with you, is it going to happen overnight? Probably not. But does it need to take all four years of your college experience and for you to settle into a full-time job before you ever share the gospel with someone? No. You are in the biggest community of your entire life. You are in the harvest fields right now. No other time in your life will you be surrounded by so many people open to some gospel message than you are right now. This is the time. And does it happen on your own? No. That's what this is for. That's why we gather. That's why we get in small groups. That's why we do Bible studies. It's not just so we can cram more and more and more and more into my mind so I can answer and be the best at some Bible trivia quiz I take later on. It's so that I'm transformed by that power for the sake of others. It's so that I am prepared and equipped to go out into the field and bring other people to Jesus. And some of you may say, well, I've got some pretty big questions about God. But I, and okay, I love you, but I'm going to be real. Is that an excuse? Because I've got big questions too. And I know your staff does. And I know other people in this room do too. And I can guarantee you the friends who went to Jesus that day, they didn't know everything. They didn't have it all together. They had questions too. But questions shouldn't get in the way of us potentially changing someone's life with the gospel. some of you might say, well, Josh, you don't know who I am. I'm just not good enough. You don't know the kind of sins and mistakes that I do and how I continue to fall short. (laughs) Well, you're not killing Christians, are you? Paul was. At least I don't think you are. I hope you're not. And you know, I'm glad Paul didn't say, yeah, man, you don't know what I've done. Yeah, grace is for me, but offering that to others, if they knew what I've done, if they knew who I'd been, they'll never accept it. And I can tell you personally, I am so thankful for those guys in high school that pursued me. 
And I can guarantee you, they didn't articulate the gospel to me very well. They didn't know the most. They weren't the most well-spoken. But they loved and cared about me enough to show me who Jesus was. And my life has changed from this day on. And that's what makes it so powerful. If God can use you, if God can use Paul, if God can use a guy like me, an anxious 23-year-old who's mostly a train wreck, a guy who's so awkward every time he shares the gospel with somebody because I don't know how to do it, there's not one way. But it's because God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in weakness. So brothers and sisters, it's time. It's time. For 90% of you in this room, it's time. For the 10% of you that are newer to Jesus and newer to the faith, right now soak in that love and that grace and that mercy. And the rest of you, 90%, continue to do that too. But it's time. It's time to awake to a decision. And that decision is, am I going to lay my life down? in my priorities, in my image, in my agenda, so that other people, people that I love, the people that God has placed in my life, the person that you get really anxious thinking about sharing the gospel with right now, because you know how far away they are from God and just how desperately they need his love. And I'm saying, students, it's time. It's time. I love you too much for you to head back into comfortability and never let the gospel shine to others around you. It's time to stop consuming, and it's time to start truly living. It's time to awaken to who you've been called to be. It's time that your faith starts bringing some other people to Jesus. It's time that you start to show your faith in a way that others would come to know and love him as well. Father, thank you for your grace that covers us all. That through Jesus, you showed us what it looks like to pursue. You came down in the form of a human, and you loved us from the beginning, and you called us to your side. You called us to our own. You called us to drop our nets and to follow you. And Father, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the times I pick up my nets, I pick up my old life, and I try to keep living this dual life, God but I know you call me to so much more. You call everyone in this room to so much more. So Father, would you embolden us by your spirit? Would you continue to transform our hearts? And would you give us the perspective? Would you give us your spirit as we go out of this place and we go out into the harvest? And would we draw other people near to you? Not because we're good enough, not because we know enough, but by your power and your spirit and your transformative work. Amen.